heart. Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety weighs down a human heart. So, it's true. Uh, this week, my youngest daughter is not here, and Cheryl's not here, because they're on their way to Butler Springs Christian Camp. This week, she will be whitewater rafting, rappelling, and hiking along the Monongahela National Park. And anxiety would be literally like her packing, or picking up rocks every 10 steps and just loading down her backpack as she goes along this hiking trail. The extra weight in her bag, it would be what? Exhausting, pointless, painful. But that's what we do with worry and anxiety. So if you have your Bible this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn over in the New Testament to just two verses. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. And if you don't have a Bible with you, the passages will be on the screen behind me. Uh, If you're a guest with us today, I want to encourage you. Before you leave, see me, see one of the the elders here, pick up a Bible, take it home, read it, bring it back to share with us in the weeks to come. Uh, If you're a member here, you're expected to bring your Bible with you and and open it with me as I read God's Word. Uh, Because the Bible says that Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and electronic media will pass away. But the word of the Lord will never pass away. Uh, That's the Bill Warax version of the Bible. Um, But Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 say this. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds In Christ Jesus. Now I love that verse because life can be so stressful and so filled with anxiety. I want to share a story with you this morning about a colleague of mine. He got to go and be a missionary in Zimbabwe for 10 years. At the end of that 10 years, Mugabe had come in and taken away all the the, the visas of the missionaries, and so he went to minister in New Zealand for the next 10 years. And while he was in New Zealand, he raised his two children. When his son was eight years old, he wanted his dad to take him to the New Zealand Open. Now, he loved to play the game of golf, and so he promised his son, you know, I'd love to go too, I'll take you. The secret about New Zealand is that it rains there 282 days out of the year. And if you go online or you go to some travel thing, uh, they will show you sunny New Zealand, beautiful New Zealand, which are pictures actually taken in only about six weeks out of the entire year. But during the time of the New Zealand Open, the golf courses are absolutely beautiful. I mean, they've been well watered the rest of the year. It's the perfect time. And so he took his son, Delaney, again, eight years old, to the course in Belfast Christchurch, which was on the Banks Peninsula. Now, if you've ever seen uh, these boats, the America's Cup races, that's where they happen. Uh, in the the waters off of this peninsula. And so that's the kind of view they have as they're watching this golf game. They were about the furthest point you could be from the clubhouse. And little Delaney had been thirsty all day. And he had been drinking bottle of water after bottle of water after bottle of water. And they only had there at the furthest point on this course 10 to 15 portalettes all in one place. So he had to march his son to there and he put his son in one of these porta potties and he walked over to a concession kiosk to get a a diet coke and a hot dog and just to wait for his kid to finish 
Well, as he was sitting there, he noticed a lot of time passed, and he started to be concerned about his eight-year-old son, Delaney. And so he walked back over to the portalette, and he knocked on the door. He said, son, are you okay in there? Absolutely no response. Now, you have to understand that even though this little guy was only eight years old, he had teased his father from the moment he came out of his mother's womb. And any time he could get dad angry or riled up, he would do it by staying quiet. And so little Delaney didn't say a thing. And the dad wasn't very happy about it this time. And so uh, he knocked a little harder. Delaney, are you okay? I'm concerned about you. Nothing. And so now he's starting to get upset. Now, my friend is six foot three, and these portalettes were about six feet tall. And so what he did was he reached up and took the top of this thing, and he tilted it a little bit until he could hear all that blue water and other stuff kind of sloshing around in there. He said, Delaney, you better answer me right now. Are you okay? And still his son was quiet. He said, Delaney, if you don't answer me, I'm going to get this thing horizontal, and you will answer me. Still nothing from his kid. He takes this portalette and he tips it over to about a 15 degree angle from the ground. Blue water is spilling out from the bottom of this thing. And his kid still says nothing. He lets it go. And it just kind of does that rocking back and forth thing until it gets back to its original position. As soon as it stops rocking, he feels this little tap on his leg. He turns around and there's his son Delaney. What are you doing? I put you in here. He said, Dad, I didn't like it. It wasn't that clean, so I went to another one. And before he could tell his son, they're all the same, son, he heard the latch on the door flip open. (laughs) And this little Japanese lady came out with blue legs, blue clothing, and in what little English she knew, she pointed at him and said, you very bad man, you very bad man. Well, he stepped forward to explain to her and apologize what was happening, but she took his move forward as an act of aggression, and so she took off running. And when she came back with the police, <laughs> it, was, it was more funny because the policeman that, that she came back with was actually a deacon at the church that this guy served at. And he tried to explain what had happened, and, and, and then the policeman talked to her some and explained to him, you need to understand. This little lady has saved money all of her life to come to New Zealand. The one thing she wanted to do more than other was to see this golf open. She had all these expectations, and you ruined them all. He said, really, the golf tournament lasted four days, and so for the next three days, every time this little uh, Chinese lady saw him, she would run to the opposite side of the course, get a group of friends around her, and point at him to say, very bad man, very bad man, and he couldn't explain it to her. Now, maybe it's not all that drastic to you when your life gets tilted sideways, uh, but we've all had some embarrassing moments and some stressful moments, and as adults, we have if we're honest, some unrealized dreams and goals. For some of us, life just hasn't turned out the way that we planned it for it to. And the older you get, the more you realize you could do everything right and your marriage could still fall apart. You can do everything right with your children and and, and they're still going to disobey. And when they grow up, they'll leave home and sometimes they might walk away from the faith that you've given them. You can do a lot of things right, and although it significantly increases your chances, there's no guarantees in this life because life is so fragile. And what happens with anxiety is what counselors call 
the disintegration of the soul. And if you have anxiety in your life, you understand what that means. But like each of our kids has learned this past week, and I hope that you have caught through their excitement and the things they brought home and the things that they talked about, and through your honest conversation with God, I hope you learn that we have a God who rescues us. And when we're anxious, that's exactly what he does. Over 20 years ago, I had a friend named Ted. Now, now Ted was a, a contractor, a builder. Uh, he taught karate as well, just a really neat guy. But he had to be rescued because he suffered from something called SAD, which is about what it sounds like. He struggled with severe anxiety disorder. And as well-meaning as a lot of people in our church were, if, if any one of us, including me, would have said to him, Ted, you just need to settle down. You need to calm down. I'm sure he would have slapped us in the name of Jesus. I mean, he was a good Christian, so he had to throw that in there too. But the real truth was Christians struggle too. You know, as Christians, we're forgiven. We're not perfect. And Ted's anxiety attacks lasted three and a half years. He would wake up in the middle of the night with his heart racing. His blood pressure would shoot off the charts. The first time I went to visit him at the hospital, I kid you not, his blood pressure was 230 over 140. We're talking stroke level. And everybody responds differently, but he was embarrassed. And yet he told his friends at church, he told his employer, his friends about it, and what I noticed were people started coming out of the woodwork who'd experienced much of the same thing. You see, we've been told in America that in the last 50 years, we're healthier than our parents. We have more finances than our parents. We have a greater sense of liberty. We're able to travel more globally, and yet there's an epidemic in our world today. Did you know anytime something goes up in our nation by 10%, it's called an epidemic? And in the last five years, anxiety and anxiety disorders have risen 27%. The land of stars and stripes has become the land of stress and strife. And anxiety gets us to the point that we just can't relax. Peace is short-term. Anxiety is a thief. It robs us of sleep. It robs us of energy. And so what I want to say is that simply means if you have anxiety and worry in your life, you're human. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean that your parents failed you or vice versa. And more importantly, it does not mean that you're not a Christian. One of the accounts that the young people and I talked about this, this past week was Jesus facing anxiety in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, for heaven's sake, there he prayed three times that he wouldn't have to accept the cuff of suffering that was coming. He faced anxiety, but he did not stay anxious. He entrusted his fears to a heavenly father. He completed his earthly mission with faith, and he gives us the power to do the exact same thing. How? We already read it in Philippians 4, when he says the pathway through it is not to worry about anything, but to do three things. Pray was the first one. Jesus rescues us from anxiety by focusing, or by giving us the gift of prayer. Anxiety always has more questions than it has answers, takes more energy than it gives. There's not enough time, not enough luck, not enough credit 
not enough wisdom or intelligence that we have in our life. It seems like we're running out of everything, and so we're anxious. And destructive anxiety, it has bad math because it subtracts God, and it adds up the challenges we face until the sum is God's left out of the equation. Jesus said this to us. He said, your heavenly Father, he already knows all your needs. So seek first his kingdom above all else and live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. You accept the gift of prayer. The second thing he does to rescue us from anxiety is he helps us focus on just how much he cares for us. I saw Jimmy Fallon one night. He, He does these Twitter hashtag polls of people and the one that I saw was, what would your superpower be? Now I'm just curious for you young people, if you could have a superpower what would it be? Abby, what would your superpower be? Fly. To fly. How many of you would like to fly? All right. Jonah, what would your superpower be? You don't know. Knowledge, evidently, would be yours. What would it be? What would your superpower be? Okay. David, what would your superpower be? <laughs> You and Jonah would get along well. You don't know. Um, The number one answer that people gave was, I want to be able to see the future. The thing about anxiety is it, it makes our goal that we have to know. But the truth is we don't need to know all the details about our future. The goal is to put our lives in the hand of the one that does and never, ever let go. Jesus said this rather bluntly. He said, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you eat or drink or what about your body and what you'll put on. And he gives two very simple commands. Number one, he says, look at the birds of the air. This past week, we had seagulls hanging all over the church. And one day I came in, and because they were setting off the motion sensors uh, the previous week, somebody had taken them all down and put them on the floor. And it looked like an Alfred Hitchcock movie when I walked in the church. Birds all over the place. But Jesus said, look at the birds. They're happy. They don't stress out. They don't work. They know they're cared for. They whistle. They sing. They soar. And then he gives the second command, consider the lilies. And he says, even Solomon, the richest king in history, he wasn't dressed in such a beautiful way. So how do you disarm anxiety? You start stockpiling gratitude. The verse we read, you offer your prayers to God with gratitude. When we catalog what we're thankful for, we realize gratitude and anxiety, they can't occupy the same space because one always pushes out the other. And now the last thing. Jesus rescues us from anxiety because he gives us the best gifts of all. He gives us himself. The end of that verse we read in Philippians 4 said this, and the peace of God, which we all want, that passes all understanding, It will guard your hearts and mind like a soldier at the door in Christ Jesus. I heard the title of a book this week that I really like. Trouble comes, but so does God. So my wish, my prayer, my desire for each one of you, whether you're three years old or a hundred years old today, is to simply lay claim to the nearness of God. God gives you this promise, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. When I saw Jason at the hospital this past week, by the time I got there, Jesus was already there. He was with him all along. 
when you go to your school and your classroom, whether you're a student or a teacher, he's there. And you've got to hang on to the fact that wherever you are, he will never leave. Life is a lot like jumping out of an airplane, and faith in Christ is our parachute. Lay claim to the nearness of God and know that he's reaching out for you in love. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, for the life of each of these young people and for a wonderful week, we saw God sightings. We, we see them placed upon the sail behind me up here. But there's so many times that we don't see. And, and Father, we need the eyes of your spirit to see how much you love us, how much you gave to be close to us, to forgive us of our sins. Maybe there's somebody here today that's ready to accept that forgiveness to give you their life and, and to, to give up their anxiety because a life with you and anxiety, they really can't occupy the same place. Maybe someone's looking for a church home or simply for prayer. But in a moment as we sing our song of decision, Lord, would you just compel them by your spirit to respond and to do what you ask of them in Jesus' name. Amen.